0: Welcome to the Inspired Women Podcast. I'm your host, Megan Hall, psychology student, wife, and mama of four. On this podcast, I share helpful life tips and stories from inspirational women. Warning, sometimes we chat about taboo topics and drop some F-bombs. Thank you for tuning in with me today. Enjoy the episode. Hey everyone, today I'm here with Nikki. Nikki James James Zellner is many things. An empath, a spoonie, a seeker, an artist, a writer, a feminist, a mom, a military spouse, a survivor, an entrepreneur, a challenger, and most surprising to her, an activist. She resides in Virginia Beach with her husband and two sons. I'm most of those things too. <laughs> uh, so the part first thank you for coming on the podcast today thank you for having me I was
1: excited to get a little message um, yeah (laughs) well
0: I've been wanting to have you on for a little while but I wanted to see how this played out so you could be like look at what I did (laughs) (laughs) so we're gonna start there what you said you're surprised that you became an activist what like prompted that what happened
1: So I have never been, um, I've certainly had, you know, thoughts about politics in general and about public service and and those kinds of things. But in my head, I was never so passionate about something that I would fight for a law to be changed, right? I've always been an advocate for things, meaning hey, this is something that's important to me. I'll support this by volunteering or I'll support this by chipping in on Giving Tuesday. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but like out of sight, out of mind, unless somebody makes an ask of me, um, right. as much, I, I was just an advocate. I was, I was um, there's many things I'm an advocate for, but I've never taken anything to activist level. An activist level is, to me where you are committing full force to bring awareness to a serious issue. Um, a lot of times that's an issue that you have an experience with that has now changed your perspective. Um, and activism is, is really changing laws, changing the system, changing something away from what it currently is to that better thing that's more just, that's more equal, that's more equitable Um, And that is more safe in my case. Um, So the thing (laughs) that occurred, um, uh, I am a military spouse. We are, we at the time a year ago, February, 2020, we were both working parents um, and we sent our kids to school um, like many parents do, right. So that they can work and put food on the table and so we dropped our kids off at a very fancy daycare that had all of the bells and whistles, that had all of the five-star reviews, took all of the NACRA, right? It took all of the, um hit, hit all the marks. Um, friends had referred it. It had all the accreditations. Uh, it was a school as well as a daycare. So my boys could be there together. Um, and my boys are, at the time, they were five and four. Um, so they're just about a year and a half apart. And so we had never had any issues. When you go into this particular facility, there are two security panels to get in, one to wow. even be in the lobby, one to even get into the building. Um, obviously, lots of intruder-related safety mechanisms. Um, in order to uh, give breast milk to your child, like everything had to be double, triple wrapped, couldn't touch you know, things in the lunchbox. So like, there were all of these rules in place, right? And so when there are rules in place, and your handbook is like 20 pages long, you're so overwhelmed by the things in that handbook, you're not really thinking about a glaring thing that maybe you should be thinking about. And so I have a lot of mom guilt about this. And I think that's really what spurred spurred my activism in a lot of ways is is my mom guilt of um, how did I not understand the risk? And the risk was on February 20th of 2020, um, my kids were carried out to an ambulance, lips blue. A child was carried out unconscious to three children went to the hospital later in that day and five to six teachers were immediately transported to the hospital and put on oxygen for seven hours um, because they were exposed to carbon monoxide poisoning from a leaking furnace on site in what I believe to be a daycare that's smaller than my 3,000 you know 2,000 square foot home right that had a hundred students and teachers inside of it Wow. And um, uh, there were no detectors on site. So like the incident and what spurred this activism is my first response, obviously, when you arrive to screaming and crying children, fire trucks and ambulances everywhere, and you've been evacuated in the middle of a snowstorm, was you're just panicked. Are my kids okay? That's all you care about. Are my kids okay? and you're not really asking the questions in an emergency situation you don't you're not in the right mind right. to be asking the right questions at that time and so i'm trying you know we're in the we're in the ambulance out in front of the evacuation center and i'm watching other kids i'm watching other teachers i'm listening to the questions and i have a i have a media background i've worked with journalists my whole life and i start taking mental notes I start snapping photos where I probably shouldn't have, right? Like, oh, this is the chaos of the scene, you know? And I just, that's how I was getting through the situation of, of fear was documentation. Right. Um, And so I was just capturing like horror on parents' faces and students were freaking out. Um, And, you know, management is like, oh, everything's okay. We got them out. We followed emergency protocol. Like it's, it's the line, right? They're walking the line.
0: Right we don't want to be sued. So. Right. <laughs> there's
1: FYI, there's a two year statute of limitations on whether or not any parent can sue them. Yeah. We're approaching that in the next 300 days. So we're still giving it serious consideration, I'm sure. <laughs> but um, so I'm taking all of these notes. And uh, so I wait a couple of days, you know, because the phone call I get is there's a gas leak at the school and a carbon monoxide Exposure is not necessarily a gas leak. So, number one, the language was incorrect. This was not a Virginia natural gas gas leak that has the possibility of explosion. This is carbon monoxide exposure and poisoning from a leaking exhaust system, right? So, carbon monoxide is the byproduct of combustion. And you need that to go out of your building. You don't need that to be leaking into your building. So I use the word leak with air quotes around it because carbon monoxide isn't necessarily something that leaks. It's something that exists uh, and has to be shot out through exhaust and through ventilation. And so, you know, what's really scary other than, you know, walking into the scene is what came next? which was once we found out it was actually a carbon monoxide leak, you know, a carbon monoxide poisoning. That's, yeah. that's what I've encouraged people to start saying. Um, because carbon monoxide is a deadly gas. Right. <laughs> uh, there is no way to detect it without a detector. You don't, Unless somebody's having a medical emergency, you don't know that this thing is poisoning you. You can't smell it. You can't see it. Um, and so the first thing that came out said, oh, it was a carbon monoxide issue and that has been resolved with our furnace. All of these inspectors have signed off on everything. You're good to bring your kids back the next week. And my first question was, so why wasn't there a detector on site if you, if you had something that produced carbon monoxide on site? And the daycare says, we're not required to. Uh. And for me, I turned that anger into questioning, questioning daycare. And I I was like, okay, what do you mean you're not required to? Well, we follow state building codes and the state building codes don't require us to do this. So I call the governor. <laughs> I got, I, that was my first call. My first call was the governor's office. And I said, who do I talk to about this? This is a serious incident. This is before it broke in the press. So this is before there was any kind of National momentum, which we've now seen. Um, I just started asking a lot of really pointed questions, and I would start with my story. Uh, it's a lot shorter version than the one I just gave you, but um, uh, so I the, basically the governor said, "I want to refer you to our state building code guy." You know, right now, that guy called me back within like thirty minutes and said, "I'm so sorry to hear about this." Um, And he started walking me through, you know, the buildings that do and do not have detector requirements. And what I found out was from him was if your building in Virginia um, was an educational facility, whether that's daycare, private school, public school, if your building was built in 2015 or later, you're required to have a carbon monoxide detector on site or some kind of detection system for carbon monoxide in particular But if your building was built 2014 prior, you were not. That is 99% of the schools in Virginia. (laughs) Uh, The the average age of a school building is 50 plus to 60 plus years in the state of Virginia. And it's a constant battle, you know, budget and, and, you know, funding for schools and funding for education, which means the maintenance of systems gets the short end of the stick. Right. Because, well, it hasn't blown up yet. We don't have to make any adjustments to it, right? And so that tends to fall by the wayside. And so I. But the next question that came out of my mouth when he told me this, and I said, okay, how do we update the building codes? Can't you just go in and update them? Because this is obviously a safety risk. And he said, well, in the state of Virginia, you can't update the building code without legislation. <laughs> and that's how I became an activist. <laughs> Was what is the feedback I'm getting for, what are, what is the, uh, and, and, you know, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about how this transformed, but that was the first thing is this is my first step, change the law. I didn't realize what that meant. Right. I didn't realize what that meant I would be committing to or the role that would take and the obsession that would become in my life. Uh, and the learning of the political system in Virginia, which is very different than the political system in other states. And um, I, I I just didn't, I had blinders on, I just knew this happened and I wasn't going to let this happen to anybody else. And I was really pissed off about it. Megan, it's just I really be pissed too. off. Um, it was very fresh. It was baby fresh on my mind. And I had just made up my mind and said, well, let's go change the law then, you know? And my I- kids went
0: <laughs> to school in Virginia and all I can think was, so you're telling me their schools probably did not have a carbon monoxide
1: Yeah. And we'll go into a statistic and we'll go into like what this snowballed into, right? Like Dave Ramsey approach, you (laughs) you start with this one thing and then you're, you're snowballing into these other things. Um, And so I now have a new mission, right? Like I have people calling me who've tried to get laws passed for years, who are part of these lobbying, you know, industry organizations being like, what did, how did you, what, (laughs) You know, like, and I'm like, it's, it's about the right story. It's about the personal situation. Um, it helps to be able to say I'm a military family stationed here and you're trying to kill my kid, right? Like right. what the F <laughs> and I'm a, I'm a mom of little, so I don't really, I don't like to swear, but I'll, I'll spell it out. But what the <laughs> F you and and um, I was, man, I get fired up about it and you can see it in my face. I'm like, yeah. Mm. Um, and but I've really had to temper myself you know as we've moved through these conversations Um, and I think I I was in a unique position in that this happened to me it happened to somebody with my background who knew how to navigate the media who knew how to navigate I don't want to say I knew how to navigate the political system but I at least knew how to have a seat at the table and how to have conversations with those kinds of people because of my work in nonprofit. Yeah.
0: And you have connections with people <laughs> do, across yeah. the entire globe. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> so, um, you know, I can call up a, a person who has a seat at, at their senator's table on the regular and say, I need you to put me in touch with this person. Um, and And then the pandemic hit the next week. You know, this happened on February 20th and they closed down the schools literally the week after the story broke. And I was like, "Well, oh, that was a short-lived campaign. <laughs> you know, I was like, they're not gonna be talking about this anytime soon. Um, but the, the pandemic was a real gift. And the reason it was a real gift is because where people would normally require in-person conversations, I got them on video, babe. I got them on phone. I got emails being answered about school safety like that, right? And they have so, all this
0: time to do it now.
1: <laughs> yeah, you're so it sucks for you, buddies. I'm coming for you. But, um, you know, the pandemic really like put a pause on how people feel about health, how people feel about safety. It was top of mind. And I think it was able to ask more direct questions um, and really just lean into this whole Well, I have no freaking clue what I'm doing, but I'm just going to wing it. You know, Nikki Nikki likes wingies, like Tommy. Tommy (laughs) likes wingies. And that's what I was doing. I was just completely winging it. Um, I was not asking for advice, really, from very few people. Um, Because I did not want to get lost in the red tape. I did not want to get lost in the bureaucracy. This is not my job. I do not need anybody else fighting this battle for me. I will say what I want to say and you will hear me say it. And it will be my voice that you hear as a parent of a child who could have died just by going to school that day. And I'm not okay with that. (laughs) And I'm not okay with anybody's kids. You know, um, the likelihood of an intruder or a school shooting happening in the school is way less. Not saying it's, you know, different. We shouldn't treat it as a serious situation, Right. But my God, why are we acting like carbon monoxide poisoning isn't happening in schools? And, and that's the next part of our story is sharing that with you.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Why we were
1: acting like it wasn't.
0: (laughs) That's, that's amazing. Uh, I like, like I said, all I can think is like, my kids went to school in Virginia and now I'm like, I need to look up if they need it in Connecticut. <laughs> like, <laughs> although it's a little different. I think carbon monoxide, correct me if I'm wrong, has to do with gas. And here in our Connecticut, where it's predominantly oil. So I don't know if there's a difference on whether- uh, Carbon monoxide
1: up. is a byproduct of combustion. So oh, okay. anything that's being burned, any fuel gotcha. burning, a fuel could be oil, a fuel could be gas, a fuel could be wood- uh, carbon monoxide is produced by your cigarette,
0: smoking well, I'm, it. I'm not <laughs> <of them.
1: laughs> right. So um, I, your car starting and 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 being you know shooting out exhaust. An exhaust pipe is for that byproduct of combustion. And so um, I just to, just to preface preface this, I was an art major. I I was a human, I was a writer. I was a humanities person. I was terrible at math and science and chemistry like I loathed it I this was I'm married to an engineer now but this was not I was a straight A student until I hit those math courses and science courses if it came down to something um that I could memorize 110s right I got this I had a good memory but my god don't ask me to prove a theorem Don't (laughs) you know like don't ask me what happens when you mix X and Y, like right. I, would just, I would fail that miserably. It's not how my brain computed. And so the fact that I ended up an activist for something scientific, apparently science, apparently carbon monoxide is a scientific conversation. <laughs> um, I, it just blows my mind because I also think that helped because I really understood the lay person's language. And so now I consider what I do Carbon monoxide re education for dummies, right? That's what you I just re
0: educated yeah. me. Yes, I knew it, it came out of cars, <laughs> but I thought that had to do with the gas. And- <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it has to do with burning
1: fuel, right? Gotcha. A propane, uh, you know, any of those things. So we'll kind of go over, you know, like what a, a parent's boot camp, you know, a teacher's boot camp, what is this? What is it that you need to know um, yeah. about this, and and where did we go from from here? So that's the thing. The thing that happened February twentieth, twenty twenty, was my kids almost died, and uh, that was a little too close of a call for me, and I got fired up. <laughs>
0: yeah, like you said, that's usually how um, you know activism starts, right? Yeah. I'm an I'm an advocate for things like you are. But, um, when it comes to activism, it's something that usually is very personal, right? Mm -hmm. I become more of an activist for mental health, right? right? Because that's, that's really important to me, like working on trying to change things around particularly people's mindset around it. Right. Right. Um, for me, as somebody with bipolar disorder, you hear a lot of people talk about how people with bipolar disorder, they're violent and, you know, they're going to do all these wild things. And I'm like, that's not how that works. Yeah, <laughs> We need to change this because um, people aren't going to seek help if they, if this language continues. So that, that's something to me is important. And, you know, looking into the laws and, and I support, mm-hmm. I, I support like uh, lawmakers that are actually trying to change the laws around mental health. Um, Right. So that to me is very important, but I have, I advocate for all sorts of kind of things. So it's usually very personal. So where did this event, this poisoning take you? How how, did you get it to the level where it's now at and tell us where that level (laughs) is.
1: (laughs) So, um, the first place I started was I couldn't have these conversations without understanding what I was dealing with. I I, I understood very quickly that I was, I had a good story, but I didn't really know how to communicate that story outside of this is what happened to my kids. I, I couldn't, when somebody would ask me, well, what's next? What do I need to know about carbon monoxide? I couldn't tell them the answers. I I didn't have the vocabulary or the language to support my narrative, which was, this is scary. This can happen to you. You know, so the first place I started um, was with an organization um, I reached out to called um, National Carbon Monoxide Awareness Association. And how I found them was I just started going Google crazy and trying to find everything I could about carbon monoxide on the internet. And what I was finding was everything was basically a copy of the same information, surface level information. And it all had to do with the home. Like it was never about this is what you need to know in a commercial property, or this is what you need to know in an educational facility. It was, it was like, you're a homeowner, you're required to have these things. And there are all these laws around this thing about how you're protecting yourself and your own home. And there wasn't anything, not a GD thing, about sending your kids into someone else's care and their responsibility to your children, you know, as a building owner, as a property caretaker, you know, as a caretaker of children. And um, so I figured out problem number one was people didn't even understand they're getting carbon monoxide shoved down their throat from the aspect of residential and from the aspect of, oh, it's wintertime. You need to check your carbon monoxide and smoke detectors. Like it's been the same messaging for 20 years. And yes, while it's helped the residential awareness of carbon monoxide, it is completely dumpster fired. Um, Any movement forward progression in the safety of people in who are going into another property so think about grocery stores that have forklifts that are doing things in the back Uh, that's carbon monoxide uh think about our um fire and safety workers you know um maintenance workers who work in garages that's carbon monoxide they're being poisoned on a daily basis um, and other than OSHA and the EPA, like there's real no, there's not any regulations about what those building owners are required to do to protect that person's life and safety in that residential area. I mean, in, in that uh, occupational area. And so um, that was piece, you know, that was the second piece was. Okay, there's a a disconnect between people's assumptions of carbon monoxide and and what laws are actually out there. You assume that you're being protected when you walk into a commercial property. You are not when it comes to carbon monoxide. You just aren't. Um, Across the nation, you are not being protected. Um, Only six states require um, school uh, protection and that's even at the basic level. and so the second place that this took me was understanding the science of how does carbon monoxide work? What, what is it and how does it impact you? Um, and carbon monoxide is something that exists naturally. It, you know, it, it exists in sewage, you know, it, the gases that are developed in your sewage pipes can produce carbon monoxide. Um, again, a cigarette, uh, a vehicle, your buses and your pickup line are shooting carbon monoxide at your face. Uh, (laughs) uh, and, And where that took me was, okay, what could be the sources of carbon monoxide in a school? And everybody said all of the language around current legislation was built around. You're not required, and this is existing ones, you're not required to have a carbon monoxide detector if you don't have a natural gas system on site or a boiler or something along those lines that brings gas in. But in a study that I did out of 89 publicly covered um, national carbon monoxide incidents in schools, 25 of those 89 incidents were related to cleaning equipment, construction equipment on site being used during school hours or right before or after school and harming individuals. So all of these were verified emergency responded. Um, This is a a fire or emergency provider responded to them to help them with medical situation. Um, And in many of the cases, these, these buildings did not have detection equipment on site. So you have two choices. You can alert with a detector that there's a situation occurring and get people out and it's a health safety. Or you can choose to not have a detector or a detection system, and you can wait until somebody could die. And it's a medical emergency. And so that's what these buildings and these schools and these daycares and these property owners are doing. They're choosing a a medical life-saving intervention over your preventative protection.
0: And aren't carbon monoxide detectors relatively inexpensive, yeah, your, your standard, uh,
1: and, and this goes into point three, your standard detector um, that you can get at Lowe's or Home Depot is gonna run you between 50 and a hundred dollars. It has a shelf life of three to 10 years on that regular. And this brings us to pro- uh, another problem within the carbon monoxide conversation. Would you assume that your, Megan, carbon monoxide detector that you have plugged into your house would alert immediately if carbon monoxide touches it?
0: I would assume if it reaches a certain level.
1: Okay. And so how, how long do you think that would
0: take? I have no idea. <laughs>
1: okay. So basic carbon monoxide detectors. You're sitting at Home Depot. You see one over here for 200 bucks. You see one over here for 50. Odds are that person's going to go for the 50 to hundred dollar range. Right. That means they're waiting for carbon monoxide to accumulate over 30 minutes to four hours at 70 PPM, which means you're already nauseous and being poisoned at that point through a regular detector. You're already being poisoned. A, a minimum level of, of protection, you know, like y- you want it to go off and in the 10, you know, no later than 10 PPM. And that's PPM is parts per million. Basically okay. how much carbon monoxide is in your fresh air immediately surrounding your detector. So when you start to think about a school, which might be a 30, 50,000 square foot property, do you think one detector is gonna catch that? Oh, absolutely not. No. You're probably gonna need like no. one per room. <laughs> yeah, you have to start to establish detection zones. And that hasn't been done either, Megan. There is not a single, every school is gonna be different. It is not a one size fits all situation. We need to start looking at sizes layouts, ventilation systems. This is not, and, and so I, while I get really excited about the law I have passed, the law I have passed is laughable. It's the minimum viable product. And the fact that it took some angry mom working from her house to prove this to you, to even ask for one detector in a 30,000 square foot building, like I'm ashamed of myself that I couldn't get something bigger. But if to, in order to pass it, in order to start this conversation, I had to start where people could understand. And what they could understand is a single detector. That's what they've been told. That's what they know about carbon monoxide. That's something they can visualize. They can't visualize hardwire versus plug-in versus backup. They can't visualize auto alert versus, you know, um, low sensitivity versus high We haven't trained them to have this conversation yet. And the schools themselves don't know what in the hell we're talking about because they're just following what's on the books of what they're supposed to do in one giant checklist. And it's 400 pages long already. Right. So until you tell them that they have to do something, no, they're not going to be doing it. So yeah. now on the governor's desk, after going through... The House of Delegates in Virginia passing um, both, uh, both committee and the House in full uh, after passing Senate subcommittee, Senate committee, Senate in full. There is legislation on Governor Ralph Northam's desk that requires one carbon monoxide detector. Ugh, I shake my head at this. One carbon monoxide detector in every school, daycare, private or public that takes care of children between the ages of zero to 18 in the state of Virginia. So it's a win,
0: but it's- not a big enough win.
1: It is the start of a very long battle. And I think when you're an activist, and if you use that term to describe yourself, it's not a term I use loosely. Um, I think when you use the word activist behind your name, you understand that this is life work and not project work.
0: It's um, not like, oh, this is fun, you know, for now, this is what I'm going to do. Um, and I try to explain it to people like <laughs> this is because people often say, oh my gosh, that's not enough. And why about everything, right? Like that's not enough. We need this, but you got to understand. And I said this to somebody the other day, every step forward is progress and yes. it's a step towards the goal that we have. And if we, if we either, if we don't, if we go like, well, I only want the goal to be there and not take those steps, we may never reach the goal. The goal is right. great. But if we don't start, like you said, where people understand, right? right. One, you got one, one is a win. Next, we maybe move on. One to means zones. they have to have
1: the conversation right. because if they have the conversation, they will understand for their individual location that one is not enough. A one will only give you a reading within a certain proximity of your detector in a room that you're in. And because of ventilation systems, how many other rooms could be jeopardized, right? So it's no longer, oh, we gotta make sure that there's a detector in the room next. We're gonna put a detector in the boiler room. Okay, well, um, the boiler room's ventilation system goes over five classes to shoot out on the other side of the building. You now have to have a detector in each of those classes in case there's erosion in the pipe that's taking that product out the door. Um, And a lot of people don't understand that an air intake system is something that a lot of schools are using. And an air intake system is where it's bringing fresh air from the outside, which is what they want people to do with COVID, right? Bring your fresh air in from the outside. Well, based on the age of these buildings, that fresh air intake could be in your dock. It could be in your next to your school line. It could be next to your sewage pipe. And you are bringing carbon monoxide into your school through this system, if you don't have proper filters in place.
0: Or like so you said, if they have a lot of construction work going yeah, outside, yes. right next to that- Landscaper, let yeah. me
1: use this tool that's leaking carbon monoxide. Um, and, and, and do it right next to the air intake system while kids are on the property. So like for me, there's a whole lot of conversations that have been discovered. And I I, I, I do not want to believe that I'm the first person who has ever realized that this is a problem. I wanna believe that I'm the first person that will enact change about it. And, and there are other people doing this work. Um, Chris from the Jenkins Foundation, her parents were killed in a hotel in North Carolina. Her parents were found dead in in room 225 in Boone, North Carolina. And um, they attributed it to natural causes because they had to wait 50 to 70 days before the toxicology report came back. And in doing so, they allowed that room to be opened to the next person who wanted to book a hotel stay and a family went in there and the family lost a son the next week in the same room. And what it ended up being was a corroded pipe that was taking um, the pool's water heater thing. uh, And for some reason, the pipe went through the building and this pipe was in a drop ceiling in between their room and the next floor of where the pool was. And it was poisoning the guest suite of this hotel. And so nobody's suspecting carbon monoxide poisoning off the bat. We, our departments, very few departments are wearing what's called um, a jump bag detector, which is it's always on. So when they're wearing right. their jump bag to respond to an emergency situation, the call they're getting is somebody's unconscious, somebody might be having a heart attack, whatever. Nobody's thinking, oh, that's carbon monoxide you're thinking it's a medical, right? Like this is right. something related to this person's body and bodily functions that's causing this. And so a lot of departments have started wearing jump um, detectors and they're able, right when they walk in the door, to say, this is a carbon monoxide issue. Now we need to evacuate the other people. Right Now we need to get this person into fresh air instead of treating them inside the building. Um, and that's not mandatory right now. It's not mandatory. The recommendation from NFPA, which is the national... Um, oh man, National Fire Protection Act, um, is that every building that has a fuel burning appliance on site has this, but they're still using language from 20 years ago because they don't have the data in front of them that says, look at all the incidents that weren't related to this damn fuel fired system. Right. Um, And so that's what I've been collecting, um, unpaid, uh, (laughs) unpaid internship. I have been doing FOIA requests um, for the last year. And in the state of Virginia so far, I've been doing the top 25 school systems. And um, what I found online was that we've had three to four incidents of carbon monoxide exposures in schools, according to the press. According to the press, oh, only four incidents. So I can see why the Virginia Educators Association would be like, this isn't important to us. However, when I spend my hard earned cash and put in FOIA requests, which is Freedom of Information Act to um, fire departments and EMS responders and ask for, I want to know the number of incidents that you have confirmed incident reports for where you went to a school or school property of any kind um, using these property codes, I wanna know the number of incidents that you went to in the last five years where it turned out to be a carbon monoxide related issue, evacuation, poisoning, medical emergency. And out of 10 responders so far, you wanna take a guess at the number in Virginia? Out of the top 25 school systems, I've got 10 responses so far. Why don't you guess the number of number of carbon monoxide incidents that have been And you
0: said over to? five
1: years? Over five years. A hundred. Know, knowing, knowing that, In that same time period, I only found four mentioned by the press. 100. 224, Megan.
0: Whoa, that was still, I thought 100 might be like a little high. (laughs)
1: 224 and I don't have 15 responses yet. So you're talking
0: about at least
1: doubling that number. At least, um, which means nationwide, you're looking at a far lower incident count If you're only relying on press coverage as your understanding of carbon monoxide incidents in schools, you are sadly mistaken on the gross number of negligence that is occurring on school properties. Um, In in Illinois, um, a school had a mass evacuation and poisoning in 2014. It's now under 20 class action lawsuits. Um, there was severe disfigurement developmentally of students and teachers. Um, we're talking and,
0: about over, probably close to 20,000 incidences at least.
1: Yeah. And right now, according to INFERS data, meaning like we're looking at schools, etc., cetera, the national count, that's if they have it coded right. Uh, again, there's probably a, a large number of issues that was actually carbon monoxide issue that wasn't suspected. And right. so it was coded as cardiac arrest or whatever because that person was out of the building and you know you weren't testing the building. Um, so Chris from two, room 225, her parents, that wasn't ever listed in any database as a carbon monoxide incident because it wasn't responded to as such. So we're dealing with an issue in terms of the fire and EMS reporting, which I still believe this number to be low even though I, it's a much higher number than people believe. I still believe right. this number to be low. Um, you're dealing with an under-reporting and in, in, I believe a complete misrepresentation of what the real problem is by the press. Uh, and I used to work for the press, so I don't, I don't say that lightly. Right. They're treating it as a, it, if it bleeds, it leads situation here today, gone tomorrow. And, and they're not being the watchdogs of the community to follow up on what that meant. And so I have to give a big like round of applause to Virginian Pilot. They've been with me since the beginning on this um, and um, they've continued to do the follow-up work. They've continued to do like, this is the incidents and, and they're probably gonna, once I have my data in place we're probably gonna have many more conversations about carbon monoxides in schools um, because of the data I'm discovering and the FOIA requests that I'm, that I'm bringing in. Um, and what we're finding is the same percentage, 20 to 30 percent, non related to having um, a furnace or gas system in the school. So much of it is related to um, the age and maintenance of our cleaning equipment, you know, our floor polishers, our um, wet saws that are doing concrete cutting, um, the erosion of our pipes um, and equipment that's on site and where our air intake systems are located. And, and in many cases, it's been the um, delivery vehicles idling in the docking area, as well as the school pickup lines idling because when they designed them, they didn't think about its impact to that classroom in the front of the school or the office in the front of the school and that line is right there. Right. And it's leaking into that room um, and it's causing headaches, nausea, um, vomiting, uh, body chills. So carbon monoxide looks and feels like the flu. And, and what's a big indicator of carbon monoxide is when multiple people start to feel like that in a short time frame, that are in the same space. So if you're in a classroom and one kid says my tummy hurts and then five other kids say their tummy hurts and the teacher has a headache, that is not a fire alarm situation. That is evacuate people from the school, call somebody in to shut off your gas, get everyone out of the building and call emergency providers. That is not pull the fire alarm and have a fire truck respond thinking that it's a gas leak because it's not. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a much more serious, in, in gas leak, you have to worry about an explosion. You have to worry about ignition. Um, in a carbon monoxide incident, you have to worry about developmental malfunction of the human body. What carbon monoxide does is choke you. It it starves your blood cells of oxygen, which causes brain damage and organ failure. And so I don't want to be poisoned a little bit. I don't want to be poisoned 10 ppm and have a headache because that's the first sign that something is leaking into my body that should not be. So my goal now is, yes, I believe that this will pass. It's on um, the governor's desk. Um, I've been asked to um, testify. I just testified in front of Senate and and we got this to go through. Only one guy. I'm going to shout you out, peak out of Lynchburg. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You made the what the fuck column (laughs) on my board that got put on blast on military.com.
0: Yeah, yeah, I saw the board, you shared it.
1: (laughs) Good good luck being reelected because I'm surely going to you know, talk to your system about what the heck you were thinking. Um, But um, it's a complete re-education of the stakeholders for me. And I've just been asked to testify at the International Fire Code um, update uh, symposium. This is where they decide if they're going to update International Fire Code. Because the thing about codes is they're written as mandatory language, but states and cities can adopt what they want. So it's written so that they can easily adopt the language and, and impact it in their own state and communities. So it's not just because something says, according to IFC or according to NFPA, that doesn't mean it's mandated in your city or state. That just means that's what that code industry recommends as best practices. But so many states follow these codes as law And so when they bring it in, if it's not part of the code, it doesn't get enacted. And so in the case of the International Fire Code, um, this testimony would happen at the end of April, early May. I have two minutes to talk in front of uh, a room full of people that have been doing this their whole life. And um, I'm asking them to, um, you know, take away the mindset of stop making this about fuel burning equipment. Start making this about life and safety. And here's my data. Uh, I'm asking you to change this and update this code in 2024, which means say in some long shot miracle, um, this informi- this passes right for school properties and any commercial property this year for IFC, it won't be enacted until 2024. So my re-education doesn't just come around legislation and updating codes. I am grassroots. I've always been grassroots. I want to go to the source and solve that problem. But I see this as a parent conversation. I see this as a building owner and stakeholder conversation in terms of the teachers that are going into these properties. Um, I know you're fighting for a raise right now, teachers. I know you got more on your plate,
0: <laughs> but Jesus you, can't do, it. you can't do any of
1: it. If you walk into a building that's poisoning you, no, no, no plexiglass or six feet of distance or hand sanitizer or mask is going to prevent you from having carbon monoxide poisoning if it's happening in your classroom or school.
0: And it's not an either or conversation. It's it's not like either you get a raise (laughs) or you get carbon monoxide detectors. You can have both. (laughs) <laughs> yes, you can have both.
1: You know, I'm I'm trying to find sponsors. I'm trying to have conversations with people that will protect the schools that need it the most, that will protect the schools that do have the aging equipment which are the highest risk. But the difference between carbon monoxide poisoning in children and adults is it's worse in children. It's worse in the elderly, worse in children and worse on pregnant women because you're passing that to your fetus. Um, and the reason why it's worse in children is because they haven't, de- they're not fully developed. They right. breathe faster than adults and they're still developing their brain and neurological function. And so if a child is poisoned, um, they have a much harder time of recovery. Um, and and we're talking about acute recovery, we're talking about acute poisoning here. My incidence was an acute poisoning, I believe it could have been a chronic poisoning and a chronic poisoning is a low level leak that would not alert any detector because it's not accumulating to that volume. Right. But it's poisoning you on an ongoing basis. So an example of that would be, say you always feel bad at home, but when you go get fresh air or go to work, you start to feel better. That might be sign of a low level carbon monoxide leak on your property. It might be your water heater leaking. It might be your stove. Um, You know, those are things that are occurring on a regular basis. I don't want people to lose a loved one or lose their own life to something that could be so easily preventable. And the only way to do it is with detection. The technology is
0: there. We are not using it. We're not using it. (laughs) <laughs> so what's next for you as we wrap up the podcast? Yeah. Uh, Cause I know you could talk about this for. I could. I'm going to go um, fired up. <laughs> what's next for this? What so, do you see the future of this advocate or not advocacy? We're not talking about activism yeah, we, now. We leveled yeah. up. <laughs> what, is both, uh, what is the future? The future Book is, um, you know,
1: working with organizations that are doing the work and this isn't political for them, these, uh, you know, I, the founder of the Jenkins Foundation lost parents. The founder of NCOAA has severe long-term issues due to chronic CO poisoning. So all of us are in it, what I believe to be for personal reasons. We're not in it to, to protect an industry's ass We're not in it to protect our stakeholder. Our stakeholder is human life and we have the personal stories to talk about it. So obviously escalating this to, I mean, I appreciate being on your podcast and it's certainly an international and national podcast, like escalating this to NPR levels, escalating this to national, um, national level with people who do the work. I am Mm -hmm. not a story of the day this is not a story of the day. This is a deep dive and I need people to commit to the work and the data that we need to pull to support this. Um, and so um, I had a meeting with the Virginia Educators Association like a week after the incident and they said, you're not on our legislative agenda. We can't help you.
0: Oh my lord.
1: And and this is, the, this is what really sparked, you know, the fire was, is this an issue that actually exists or is this shouldn't Is this an issue that you're creating because it happened to your kids? I've never wanted to like smack a teacher, (laughs) but but I was like, are you shitting me? Like, did that just come out of your mouth? And then I understood that's how everybody feels. That's the level we're at. If a teacher is gonna say that to me, if a building owner is gonna say that to me, if a lawmaker is gonna say that to me, I'm starting from scratch. I'm going to throw out everything that's ever been said about carbon monoxide and my next step is the re-education of carbon monoxide risk and prevention where you live in your community, in your vehicle, in your school, but my focus will be on school and I'll have partners who can help me with the rest of of that work. So I do have a website um, that will be the main place to find this and that's carbonmonoxideinschools.org and what will be there will be resources for teachers especially substitute teachers who don't know how to start the conversation of carbon monoxide on their property and who might go to five or six properties in the district each one of them will be different in terms of the risk on site and their evacuation plans Um, and so that was the first resource I built is I had a lot of teachers teachers who were concerned. They didn't know how to start the conversation. So this is an interactive checklist that you can print out and it will really show you the glaring negligence that's occurring on your property. Um, It'll show you the lack of information you have about your risk and prevention opportunities. Um, So that's resource number one and anybody can download it. So I I wanna create a free home um, specifically for schools. Um, And those stakeholders would be legislators and public servants. It would be um, industry representatives that um, like a a kid a or a first alert system that need to be involved in that conversation, teachers, administrators, parents, um, and I'm going to start to involve um, local fire departments in the um, safety education aspect so I have a meeting on that as well about building curriculum into not just fire safety, but life safety education um, as it relates to what carbon monoxide, um, how that's responded to by fire departments
0: and EMS. And I'm going to link up everything that you gave me in the show notes, um, all of the ways people can connect with you, Mm -hmm. um, because like you said, it is a national and international podcast. If anybody has maybe resources that can help you connections yeah. that can help you or just want to get involved themselves. Right. Um, they can reach out to you and, and, you know, see how they can help you get this out. Uh, hopefully maybe someday we'll be talking about it on a federal level. Like, <laughs> How can we get this, you know, passed federally where there's, you know, this, this not nationwide, like floor right this nationwide floor because you know like state the federal government lays out this floor and then the state governments can add to that but they really can't subtract from it so exactly yeah the the laws
1: are I, i don't this is the crazy thing to me i i can't believe that we the government has to tell a property owner that you should protect the people in your building right I can't believe that it that that's where we are, um, but that's where we are. And yeah. given the choice, 75, 90% of those building owners aren't going to do something that isn't required of them. Right. Um, it's just not on their to-do list. And so for me, while these code updates and legislation that takes a lot of work, it, it I mean, I have fibromyalgia, <laughs> I have severe anxiety, like, um, This has been a really interesting experience on how to manage stress, how to use anxiety as fuel instead of as a downward spiral, um, which it has done to me in the past. Right. Um, And I'm just so thankful for the ability to share the story because the story is the conversation starter of this could happen to me, right? Any mom listening to this could be like, well, I'm gonna go ask my school about this right now, right? Right? Like that's what almost every single one of them does. Uh, And if you put a carbon monoxide detector on your classroom school list, you're gonna get a carbon monoxide detector. So it's not about the state needing to fund your entire school, a $10,000 carbon monoxide detection system. I I think that should happen. I I think the school should have that, but the age of our buildings might not allow that. So it's gonna come down to detection zones and it's gonna come down to a community effort Uh, businesses donating CO versus donating a banner to your football field. Would you rather like support high school sports with a banner or would you rather put that $500 towards CO detectors for your classrooms? It's gonna come down to re-education about how a business or how a community can help the schools um, and how a parent can help the schools over and above because it's life safety and we care about these kids and we care about these teachers. And we care about these janitors that are in there using the equipment at night. And what if somebody doesn't find them until the next morning because they're using equipment that's killing them? Um, I don't ever want that. And so activism, uh, certainly new for me. Um, I'm excited and exhausted and uh, looking forward to more conversations to talk about it.
0: Well, Nikki, (laughs) thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you for having me, Megan. I haven't seen you in so long. It's so good to see your face. Thank you for being a part of the Inspired Women audience. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating review. And don't forget to share this out with somebody who could use some inspiration today. Tag us at Inspired Women Podcast, both on Facebook and Instagram. Have a great day.